What's up, freaks? Welcome back to the Freaks Progcast presented by the Prog Space. I'm one of your hosts, Randy Salo. Today is May 6th. It's Wednesday. This is episode 55 of the Progcast. And with me, as always, and still virtually due to Corona quarantining, uh, Dario from Freaks and the Progcast, uh, the Prog Space and <laughs> and the broadcast. <laughs> um, this is episode 55, as you said. Uh, last episode, we had Chetil Nortus from Green Carnation. The album is dropping in two days. So when you hear this on Thursday, it's going to be tomorrow on Friday. And actually tonight, they're uh, going to have a listening party on Facebook already. I believe also an online listening party. And then there's going to be, of course, the release streaming gig later this month and of course on monday we had another what's hot um article with cool new videos most notably a very very uh, heavy video from haken the music was not so heavy but the video was kind of heavy Absolutely. and <laughs> also really funny video video from ginger for example a fan of ginger made uh, like a lego um video of the perennial you know he, he kind of he he imitated he the whole perennial it. video with legos <laughs> wow yeah and then they and they they liked it so much that they re-uploaded it through their napalm records channel excellent so a lot, lot of cool stuff to um yeah, to dive in and uh, as i said last time if you want to see the videos, go to the Progspace page where the, where you can scroll through them and, and watch them, actually. But we also have the Spotify playlist, of course, um, on the Progspace uh, account. All right. We are also, this uh, week, we have a, another special guest calling in from the United States, from LA, from LA this time. And it is uh, John Beckhold from... The pattern seeking animals. Hi, John. How are you doing? Very good. How's everyone doing? Hanging in there. Good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> great, We're all hanging in great. there, are we? <laughs> yeah. Great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks. Yeah, happy to do it. So, um, as I as I was uh, giving you a little warning before we started this recording, we like to um, jump into our uh, broadcast episodes with uh, the What's in Your Walkman section. So, I want to ask you, what's in your Walkman? What have you been listening to lately? Um, the I listen to a ton of music of all different styles. One of the, the albums which has really sunk in with me is the new The Pendragon album, Love mm. Over Fear, which I, I love it. I, it's just I, it's a fantastic album. I've had been that's been on kind of constant spin for the past, I guess, couple months since it came out. Uh, that's a that's. A, yeah, I'm really impressed with that one. Uh, there's also a um, a group called Other Lives, which is, I guess, an American, uh, uh, more like alternative music type of uh, act. And they are, uh, the album is called, I just have to just look at it right here. It's called uh, For Their Love. Just came out a week ago. It's kind of dark, acoustic, electric sounding really great songwriting and great playing and everything so that's hmm. other lives um that sounds interesting <laughs> yeah um and then uh i've been listening to a lot of the group wobbler yeah you know from, yeah from, and it's from, 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 oh yeah from, it's, no, yeah 
Yeah. Exactly. And it's one of those groups. Uh, a few years ago, I heard something, a little snippet from them. And for some reason, you know how you listen to something and it just doesn't click with you. And then later you hear it and think, wow, I should have. I really did. That's what happened with me with them. And I, I, uh, uh, I heard something a few years ago and it didn't do much for me. Then I, on, I was listening somewhere and someone played a big long cut of theirs and I was just blown away. So I had to go out and get all their material. So I've been going through, yeah, I'm late to the game sometimes on some of these things. So I've been going through, I think that what they have four albums out. So I got all of those and I've been listening, which I, which, um, I thought was really, you know, really great stuff. Um, really impressive. It's almost, and, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but it's like garage prog. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like you know, that. it's like, it's like the guys, like they're sitting in a garage or a basement and just just playing great music. And it's just, it's all tight and everything, but it's also not super processed and refined. It's just just great players and great songs. And, you know, just I love yeah. love that band. Yeah. Love, love that <laughs> band. Um, I think sometimes, because you hear a lot of music where uh, it's been produced and engineered to the point where there's just no humanity left to it, mm-hmm. but theirs is just raw, great, powerful stuff. So I'm, yeah, I'm really digging their their stuff a lot. Um, I think uh, I checked out the latest. Uh, I'm just looking at what I've played here. Uh, the latest Fiona Apple album, which oh. I just have listened to once. A couple good songs in that. Not sure it's clicking with me, but. Um, Aside from that, uh, you know, I just go through all all sorts of stuff. I on iTunes, I will just hit shuffle, and I have, I don't know, like fifteen thousand songs and hundreds and hundreds, or maybe thousands of albums. So it's all kind of yeah. random. But I think I think those are the ones who are that are really, um, you know, being played. Oh, I was going to say, uh, I haven't listened to it in a few weeks, but the the last IQ album I thought was really good too. Oh, yeah. That came out, I guess, later last year. But I think I think that's. Those are the ones in the rotation at the moment. That's cool. Hey, John, um, 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 I just wanted to ask you, since we're on the topic, I, I, I find that a lot of times when, when, we, when we ask artists about what music they're listening to, a lot of times uh, people aren't listening to a whole lot because they're consumed like with their own projects and stuff like that. that the fact that when we asked you, you were like, oh, I have tons of stuff. I thought it was kind of it's, it's a little bit uh, out of the ordinary in a way. There's um, there's there's two two types of musicians I would say. Yeah. Some are like you, John, that are like, okay, I'm 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 a fan myself, and I like to listen to as much music as I can. And and others are like, oh, I don't have time to dive <laughs> into other stuff. And <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's funny because yeah, I'm into the the the. Um, category of i'm listening constantly i listen to a ton of music and i just mm. find it helps my writing yeah. because the more you can add up in your head to your your musical vocabulary the better and all types of music anything from you know the prog stuff to jazz to rock i listen to a ton of like k-pop and j-pop because i'm just super into great well-produced pop music hmm. bubblegum stuff i've never i never grew out of so you could look at part of my uh, itunes and you might think i was a 14 year old girl you know <laughs> some of this music i listen to but it's funny you mentioned that because i was i was reading something about eddie van halen it reminded me he would say i never listen to other music uh, he says he just doesn't do it mm-hmm. and he just writes his own stuff and whether it's it's absolutely true but uh, you're right i know some people who just don't listen to music, you know, unless they happen to be have a radio on or something, but they don't sit down and put an album on or whatever, which yeah. I find, I, I kind of find bizarre, but, uh, you know, 
Everyone's different, I guess. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but yeah, I have to. I have to uh, uh, tell you uh, two little stories. Um, to actually three um, to your choices here. So when you started up with Pendragon, I was, I was almost gonna say, um, yeah, we love to put all those. Um, artists we recommend or that we are listening to in our Spotify playlist for oh, this, sure. um, for accompanying this, um, all the episodes of the broadcast. And yeah. now, now you started off with Pendragon. And as far as I know, they're still resisting to um, put their music on uh, Spotify, uh, which is... Oh, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> I never I never thought about that because I, cause I usually buy the, the... I usually just go buy albums i think i probably bought yeah, theirs sure. burning shed or whatever it was yeah. i usually uh, you know to listen to stuff and try it out but yeah there are a few acts that aren't on spotify or streaming which personally i don't understand uh i mean i, I guess what their what their point is but i uh, i don't get it when artists don't allow their material to be streamed i yeah. i get the point i get the point where they think well it'll it'll detract from sales but on the other hand you get on some playlists and you have people who discover you who never would have yeah, heard of your yeah. band otherwise so yeah. i go i'm i think i think the fight that a lot of musicians had years ago about oh streaming and digital and downloading it's bad that fight is long over it's yeah. long past and to me it's the more places the better it's just yeah you know, especially especially with pendragon uh, i had the Uh, the only thing I heard about uh, from this album uh, so far was uh, on YouTube. They put like a teaser with like snippets of uh, right. of, of little uh, like little snippets of all the songs. But I think there's not even one proper uh, single with a video out. I might be mistaken, be mistaken, but um, yeah, it's I, I'm a little bit like yeah, I would like to check it out, but. For that, I would have to buy it, or like you know, I could of course try to go over the label or a press contact to get sure. a promo. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I you know I I, I get that because um, I just Pendragon is one of those. It's an automatic buy for me. Like you know, the Flower Kings or or Big Big Train. There's groups I just automatically buy whatever they put out, and I I I like their um, uh, the last album they they had done which is like uh, men who climb mountains i guess about five six years ago whenever that was so i again <laughs> there's so much time between these bands so it's like wow they came up with something new it was an auto buy and i loved it immediately hmm. but i think i think you're right it's it's tough where you know you have your favorite bands you're gonna buy no matter what but on the margin and ones you're not too familiar with or or haven't heard a lot you're right it's tough you know when it's only you have to shell out the money and, and buy the whole album especially if you listen to a ton of music, you just go broke buying everything. And I understand you support the artists, mm -hmm. but what I'll do a lot of times is if I hear something on Spotify, or actually I listen more to you know Apple Music, but yeah, uh, I have both. Yeah. If I hear something in a playlist and it's a really cool album, I don't just you know save the streamed album. I just buy it. I go over to iTunes yeah. and buy the download or whatever. So I've, yeah. I've got this one here, uh, Passion from Pendragon back from 2011, so almost oh, yeah, 10 that's... years old. I, I really like that one, but the other stuff didn't like didn't really grab me emotionally. And this is, yeah. I mean, aptly, aptly titled Passion, and that yeah. one kind of connected with me uh, emotionally, but I also saw them um, 
at the night of the prog on Lorelei, uh-huh. um, and they they didn't really convince me personally. Of course, a lot yeah. of fans loved it, but I was kind of yeah. But it, but it's a cool band, and it's a staple oh, yeah. household name in in the new oh, yeah. prog. John, yeah, you sure. mentioned, John, you mentioned the playlist. I think this is kind of a, an interesting topic because it's it's a little bit like the old you know mixtapes and demo sure. tapes from back in the day. But a lot of the artists, I think, that kind of resisted being on the streaming platforms like Stephen Wilson, Tool, Pendragon, maybe. I mean, these are people that would already have a following, right? If they would put their music on there, they would they would they would have a following and maybe wouldn't need like this playlist discovery thing, but like you said, like for a lot of the younger bands or more obscure bands, these playlists can really be like a, a deal breaker or not a deal breaker, but like they can kind of bust open the door for a lot of bands um, just oh, yeah. by the amount of people that follow a particular playlist. So um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you, you, one song which someone really gets into, they put it on their playlist and it, it's, it expands. It's so important. And I, you know, even with bands who have established, audiences um yeah it's like for example king crimson and yeah. i i re- i realize i'm in the minority here i love i've always loved king crimson <laughs> and but i haven't bought any physical media in i'm thinking 10 or 12 years yeah i i'm just i i couldn't have been happier to get rid of those that giant bookcase full of stuff <laughs> and put everything digital because it's just all more convenient i can do more it's i for whatever i know i'm in the minority there I mean, used to, what drives me nuts about groups like King Crimson, and I think the group Iona just did the same thing. A lot of groups do it where they come out with some gr- big box set. Yep. And stuff I would have otherwise loved to have had, and I would have gladly paid for a digital download, and it's not available. And I'm just, I'm not going to go out and buy a big, a big giant package. Just, I, I just don't care about all the, ex, you know, all the extra stuff they've added. I just want to hear the music. And King yeah. Crimson for the longest time, you couldn't even buy their stuff digitally. Um, especially yeah. it's like some of the Stephen Wilson remixes I would have loved to have bought. But again, I just don't want to buy some big box set package to get it. Yep. And I I know I know I'm in the minority and I know people <laughs> you know people get annoyed at me all the time, but I'm just and maybe it's a you know, I, not a hill I want to die on, but uh, yeah, that's that's my <laughs> feeling about it. I just don't, don't want to go backwards. I, I'm on my third car that doesn't even have a CD player in it. So, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I, I have to tell you something about Wobbler. Um, so back in the day, like uh, really 15, 18 years ago, maybe, I was listening a lot to um online radio station called Progulus Radio. Yep. And um, there we had, uh, I think it was a Prog Day promo CD, um, and there was a demo track from Wobbler before, long before their debut album. That was called no, uh, Lepre- "Leprechaun Behind the Door," uh, and they had there was like a, it was a little bit more dark and a little bit more heavy. And I love the all, all the stuff they did later on because it's still really great music. But I kind of miss that raw, really raw edge from Leprechaun behind the door. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, interesting. You s- oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, the 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 other thing that kind of uh, was super funny when you said that uh, Wobbler first didn't click with you, and when you revisited later. 
uh, you fell in love with them. I had this, the exact same thing with Spock's beard back also maybe in 2002, mm. three, four, no, three or four maybe um, when I had uh, The Kindness of Strangers on right. CD from, from the library. And I, uh, no, no, that's not true. No, I, I bought it. I bought it in a second-hand record shop, and uh -huh. because I just knew the reputation, and it didn't click. And like a, a year later, I went back to it, and I absolutely fell in love with it. So that was exactly the same story. Yeah, and that's that's one of the problems when there's you know it used to be like uh, you know 30 years ago, you might have 10 prog albums come out in a year, and so when you bought it, you really spent the time to get into it, even if you didn't like it at first. Now, if you hear something and you don't like it, there's yeah. 400 other prog acts you haven't heard you haven't heard yet, so you just move yeah. on to something else and you might never get back to it. Uh, so I know, I, I completely get it. The other the other band that happened to me with was, uh, you know, Pete Jones, Tiger Moth Tales. Yeah. yeah. Again, I heard something a few years ago, it didn't knock me out, then last year, I heard something was just completely blew me away. And that's another one. I went out and bought all of his albums. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. John, uh, just one little note, um, because you mentioned the back, back in the day, 10 albums, you know, a year, uh, Dario compiles, uh, a, a sort of what's, what's hot each week, uh, of like new singles or videos or playthroughs, things that came out from, from the prog scene. And he usually has over like 50 things. So, I mean, this yeah. is like, not yeah. just new bands, but old bands releasing stuff. But just the the amount of content that comes out, you know, now it's it's so overwhelming. And it, yeah, I mean, you have no lack of choice of of moving oh, yeah. on and finding something new with fifty things a week. <laughs> yeah, you look at the back of Prague Magazine every month, and there's just like a hundred. There's a hundred reviews, and I don't even know. I, I just don't know how people can get through all this stuff. But uh, so just, hopefully, you uh, you know land on the ones you're going to end up liking. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> all right, well, we we spend quite a lot on your uh, your what's in your Walkman choices here, which is totally sure. cool. But um, I'm also curious, as always, what what what's in Randy's Walkman. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, keep mine uh, a bit short. I just brought one thing today, um, and. Uh, John, in the last couple of episodes, I've talked a little bit about Andrew Lloyd Webber because he's been doing some quarantine yeah. screenings uh, of his live, oh, like live screenings. Uh, and I'm a, like, I grew up on the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, this was like sure. a big musical influence for me. And so the last two episodes, I talked about Phantom of the Opera and then Love Never Dies, the sequel. So this week, I followed up with something similar, but not Andrew Lloyd Webber. And that's um, Nikola Kotsev's Nostradamus. Uh, record has been back in my playlist. I don't know if you guys know this, but it's um, no. it's it's a rock opera from from a guy that played in the band um, Brazen Abbott. Yeah, that's uh, correct. <laughs> he's a guitar player, a Bulgarian guitar player, and he put together this musical on the life of Nostradamus. And his backing band is basically all the members of Europe. Uh, oh, and wow. so he's got like Ian Hoagland and John Levin and uh, Mike McKaylee and and then a, oh. as the singers he has Jolyn Turner and Glenn Hughes oh, wow. and I mean it's it, I <laughs> all mean, the it's big like, voices yeah, yeah all the yeah. big was, voices was it like yeah. wasn't like Jorn Lande Jorn Lande is playing yeah. the Inquisitor uh, uh. yeah I mean it's really like a, and and it's a terrific musical uh, you know I always wanted to see oh, them do this live. Uh, and I did find a YouTube video where they did like a trailer for the live production, 
but um, yeah. but but there was no date or anything, and I don't know that they actually act, actually ever performed it live. But the album came out in two thousand one, and yeah, they just wanted. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's been a while. And then the yeah, uh, the trailer for I, the live show was going to be 2017. So I mean, like 16 years later, they were going to do something live, but I I don't think it ever worked out or something. But uh, it's fantastic yeah. music. Oh, cool! Check it out. Yeah, sometimes they put those trailers together to attract financing and you know stuff like that. That's to exactly get the what I saw. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll check it out. But uh, it, but but uh, just vocal performance wise wise, it's oh it's yeah, fantastic. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm always looking for that. I I, I remember that from from the Progolos days as well. <laughs> ah, okay. Uh, okay, uh, Dario, what's in your Walkman? I have two entries today. One, um, I have to give uh, special thanks to. My friend, our friend uh, Michael Shatter from Generation Prog Records and Generation Prog Festival, who put this Bandcamp link up last Friday when we had again this uh, uh, specially event where Bandcamp waived their fees yep. for to right, for the right. artists on May first. And uh, the band name is the band's name is Spiral Orchestra. And uh -huh. it's super amazing, um, yeah, prog or orchestral prog rock with like like uh, you know um, gaming soundtracks and and all this kind of stuff. They have fantastic twenty minutes uh, epic on it and and stuff. Um, it is uh, yeah, it's, I, I've been listening to it a couple of times the last days and it's just really really good. And the other thing is. Uh, a little bit more eclectic. We already talked about him and his album a couple of times here on the podcast. And it's uh, Clément Bellio. Um, it's actually his birthday today. So happy birthday, Clément. <laughs> and his album uh, Patience or Patience was released last year. And so I'm going to put uh, the two part Oasis slash Grey Zone. Uh, into the playlist, um, which is a cool, like, the rhythmic piano, um, like Tigran Hamasian, this kind of stuff. Really cool stuff. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. Like I said, I listen to music just consistently, <laughs> so I'll, I was looking for new stuff to check out. That's cool. The rhythmic yeah. piano that makes me, in France, makes me think of Didier uh, uh, Skibon. I don't know if you know uh, his work. Uh, but he also has this sort of like Philip Glassy kind of rhythmic piano style. Uh, I think he's from Brittany. Um, so, yeah, maybe add that to your list of rhythmic piano. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of old and new music to check out. Uh, but, of course, there is some new music uh, to check out from your band, John. And then your oh, band yeah. is called uh, Pattern Seeking Animals. <laughs> Um, and you, the second album is coming out next week, May 15th, through Inside Out Music. It's called Prehensile Tales. Yes. Um, why don't you start in like introducing your band? How did you get together? I mean, uh, your name was known in the prog world for quite some years as you've been uh, songwriting uh, also for Spock's Beard since i think uh probably uh feel euphoria right 
Yeah, that was the first one right after Neil left. But I've been yeah. involved with those guys from the beginning, just because I've known. Oh, them forever. okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I, I, not oh. not writing with them, but okay. uh, I I met Al and Neil and Dave in the early '80s. Oh wow! Uh, so I've known him forever. And then when they put the band together, I was so into the music. I said, you know, God, whatever I can do to help. So I designed an album cover for him and did some photography. And since I had a studio, they would record some overdubs but it, at my place. But it wasn't until Neil left that I started writing with them. But oh, the, yeah, cool. the um, Pattern Seeking Animals, after the, the last Spock Spirit album was recorded, Noise Floor, I guess that was the end of 2018, I think. Um, yeah. I It was a long drawn out process for ver several reasons and i had uh, some material which didn't wasn't going to work out with them and some other things whatever and i thought you know for different projects i thought well I i'd like to go into the studio and record live drums on it because normally with my demos i program everything but i was getting tired of doing that so i talked to jimmy keegan the drummer i said hey let's go into the studio i'll you know i'll uh, pay for a studio session and record a couple songs and we scheduled it for two months down the road but by the time that happened, I had written more, and I got you know Ted Leonard involved, yeah, just yeah. to hey I was like hey guys it's none of us are doing a whole lot I, it, at the time with uh, recording or whatever I said hey let's just record some stuff and uh, just see how it turns out and see if anyone's interested in putting it out and it wasn't started out to be a band, but when we got into this uh, for the first album recording all this material. I sent it over to uh, Inside Out because I had been talking with them on and off over the years about putting together some kind of a uh, a project or uh, an album of some kind, but I was never into it. And for some reason, everything just clicked. They were they were into putting out the album, and so we finished it up and decided, hey, let's make it a band. This is fun. We all get along, <laughs> so it was good. <laughs> so it came. I think it came. It it. it came to be differently than most bands where you, you meet people, you start jamming and writing together and playing some live gigs and eventually try to get a, a, a label deal or whatever, or put out music. We start off with the music, then put the band together out of that. Um, and then uh, for the second album, uh, the last, I think the first one was released in July of 2019. And I'd been, I really wanted to get back to that point of, uh, uh, back in the '70s, where these groups would put out a new great album every a year, sometimes <laughs> even, you know you look at the first five or six Yes albums, Genesis albums, whatever. It's all within a five or six year period in the early '70s, and obviously it's a different time in recording. It's a whole different thing. But I I, I started telling people, oh yeah, we're going to put out a new album within another year. So sometime in 2020, look out. And then I started thinking, oh geez, I've been telling these people now we have to do it. So I started <laughs> writing for the second one, and it's all new material this time or the other the other album the first album even though i think it turned out great was music from a few couple different projects a couple of songs that have been around for a while and some written specifically for it this album prehensile tales was written from scratch uh to be the you know the songs on an album and to, and to come off as an album and to be its own its own thing so yeah luckily uh Luckily, I'm, I'm usually pretty good about writing. I think it comes from doing some film and TV years ago where you don't have the luxury of, you know, inspiration. They just say, we need 10 minutes of music by Friday for the scene. You can't say, oh, I'm not inspired. So I got, I've, gotten, I've gotten good at writing a lot of material consistently. I mean, whether anyone likes it or not, that's a whole other issue. Luckily, the other thing 
which we lucked out on this album, there was no schedule conflicts. For the first album, there was one couple-month period where Rich Mauser, who's the engineer extraordinaire, uh, went out on tour to run sound for Neil Morse's band. And so all of a sudden, we're all just sitting around. This time, we just got real lucky, and everyone's schedule is lined up, and we were able to finish it. I think the record company was kind of amazed because we turned it in a couple months before we were supposed to. So they were happy, and... Yeah, and yeah, all these so, long sweeping tracks, and 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 yeah, and that you put it together. It's in in a year since the last album, essentially about a year and a few less, months. Yeah, yeah less, less than a year. Less than a year. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I started writing it. I think in uh, March or April of 2019. Oh, okay. Of and. Uh, or 2020, what year is it? No, yeah, 2019. <laughs> Everything's locked in like this. I don't even know what day it is anymore. But um, yeah, and and so I think from March or April, we recorded all the drum tracks in May of 2019 and started building it up. And by the end of the year, we were pretty much done and mixed. And we turned it wow. in right after, right in January of this year, the end of January, mastered and ready. And yeah, the record company is kind of amazed. And I got it, I'm just amazed too, because I'm thinking, geez, it actually worked. So. <laughs> Yeah. So so th- this time around um yeah you said you wrote it from scratch and I mean the the band was a band before you started writing the music. Uh how yeah. much was the band involved this time in in the songwriting and or uh, how much did it influence your songwriting that you knew uh which players you were writing for? <laughs> yeah, um When when I was writing, I I wrote everything on this album, and I have I usually put together pretty pretty in depth demos for everyone to start playing to. But what I'll do when I know I'm writing for Ted as a guitar player, I've obviously been working with Ted for a while as a vocalist, so I know where you know what ranges and what's good great for him to sing and everything. But uh, for example, like with Dave on bass, I while I write a lot of bass lines, a lot of times I'll just say okay. For the 16 bar, you know, part here, I'm just putting big whole notes. Come up with something cool here, <laughs> you know. So I'll say, and he always does. And the same thing with Ted; he comes up with great guitar parts. Um, I don't even try for leads, for his leads and you know the solos and everything. I just say, okay, here's 16 bars, go for it. <laughs> I, there's never any kind of, uh, never any kind of guidance. You know, I'm, I'm never saying, oh, make it a little darker or whatever. He just comes up with cool stuff, and the same thing with other parts and. Same thing with Jimmy and all the drum stuff. So what, even though the demos are fairly well fleshed out and I have an idea what I want, they definitely contribute as far as, uh, you know, lots of cool parts and some arrangement ideas and whatever. Especially in, in the bass department, I, I was going to yeah. say, because you, you hadn't mentioned um, uh, Dave Meros yet. And I, I was uh, like wondering because there's so many cool bass, bass grooves on this album. Absolutely. I was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Either you just know how how to write cool bass grooves, especially for this, um, yeah, unique kind of player and and yeah. uh, as, as Dave is, or he he also like had had his fingers. Yeah, he, yeah, he has hands, fingers, fingers in it. But I'll tell you just a quick story: is that I met Dave. I was in a band. Uh, in the early 80s here in LA after I had moved here and I was I started out as a bass player and oh, I was in this okay. band and we kept losing guitar players we went through five guitar players in fact that's how I met 
Alan Morris is because he came in to do a session for us because he was in the same band with uh, our drummer, with him and Neil. But we got to the point where we kept going through guitar players and it was just it was just a nightmare. So I said, look, I play a little bit of guitar. Why don't I just play you know rhythm guitar for now? And then we'll get like a lead player later or something. And let's find a bass player. And the bass player we found was Dave. So, and of course, that was in the 80s. And since then, I've worked with him, except for, you know, maybe one project here and there. He's been the only bass player I've ever worked with. (laughs) So I, since I started as a bass player, and I know his style, obviously, it's, uh, it's, he's great to write for because he's so creative and he's he's so solid with what he plays. There's a couple times when I was in the studio mixing with Rich, we would just be listening to and just looking at each other thinking man this sounds like a like a bass solo album it's so cool because we're so into, we're so into days playing it was, it was great so yeah i love that kind of stuff so yeah that's, that's nice you notice that all right um you, you said you wrote all of the music uh did you also write the the lyrics oh yeah 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 i wrote the lyrics and the melodies and all that stuff okay um um yeah i know a lot i think i'm different i think a lot of bands will write music and they'll, they'll go to the lead vocal and say okay you come up with the melody and the lyrics but i've always been more of a you know classic songwriter i'll just sit there with a the guitar or keyboards or whatever and i'll come up with the melody and so um yeah this one i wrote all the, the melody and the lyrics on the last album ted wrote the lyrics on one song and then uh dave and i co-wrote a couple other ones but yeah no i write all the lyrics and the melodies and the vocal stuff all that stuff i'm going back in my mind and remembering listening to the record and and wondering where the k-pop uh influences (laughs) went into i mean certainly you hear the uh your pop sensibilities um yeah would you say that um any music in particular that you were listening to last year when you were writing this um, particularly influenced the the album. You, you know, um, it's funny. No one's going to listen to this album and say, "Oh, that sounds like a J-pop or a K-pop <laughs> song." But what I like about that stuff, and d- invariably, I'll be talking to someone and I'll mention that, and they get this weird look, and they say, "Oh yeah, my my twelve year old daughter listens to that stuff." <laughs> I've always been a fan of just well written pop and bubblegum pop, and with K-pop, I find they have some really cool song arrangements and the way they put the songs together in the sections. It's not just kind of a typical pop song with a you know verse, chorus, verse, chorus. They'll go through four or five completely different sections within a song, which I really like. Hmm. Um, and also you got the best pop writers writing this stuff. And because it's pop, they have to keep up with all the, the latest production trends and synth sounds. So I like to keep up with that on a studio nerd level. Um, I find with that kind of music and some pop stuff, it's like if I listen to Prague, a Prague album or a rock album, I'll think, oh, yeah, this is really cool. I know exactly how I would do that. Oh, they're using this sound for this bass or this sound for the guitar. They're miking the drums this way. When I listen to K-pop and some of the, uh, you know, some other pop stuff current, they're keeping up with stuff. And half the time I'm thinking, I have no idea how they're doing this since I have no idea. So it kind of stretches out the boundaries. Oh, okay. I think it, it, yeah, at some point, uh, it used to be in prog music, you would listen to a new album by Yes or Genesis as a musician and say, oh, wow, what's, what's the cool new keyboards or production stuff that these groups are going to use? And at some point, that stopped being the case. And all the kind of the new inventive stuff went over to EDM and pop and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Uh, 
to get, uh, I think a, a lot of, pro, I think it, it's natural when you're older, you kind of settle into sounds you like and is really good. And I would, I have absolutely no problem doing a record using all, you know, Mellotron and Minimoog and B3, the classic synths <laughs> mm -hmm. at all. But there's so much other great sounds out there these days to avail yourself of. But to go back to the question, as far as you're never going to listen to this album and say, "Oh, that sounds like a K-pop song," <laughs> but some of the structures, some of the structures are kind of K-pop in the way they go through different sections, and some of the the uh, uh, what I like about that material also. And you don't get me wrong, a lot of the K-pop stuff is is very similar. It sounds the same, and I understand it. It's a lot of people, older people don't like it because of the sounds. But again, I love bubblegum pop and I love cool sounds. But um, um, a lot of the, the, the chord structures are very sophisticated in it. And I don't copy stuff, but you, you get ideas of how to facilitate, you know, getting a bridge into the next verse or something in a different way than you would normally hear in a pop or a rock song. So that's mm. that's that's there but th again listen to all kinds of music and you, again you go back to the thing of having a good musical vocabulary to work from to me the more you, you have up in your head and you're writing a song the, the less you're going to draw a blank and how to how to approach a certain section or get from one to another so that's that's what i like about it. the different stuff you know wouldn't normally it's outside of your comfort zone that's what i like about it so it forces you it challenges you i think Hey, John, you mentioned uh, a few, uh, just a second ago a topic that I, th I think might be kind of interesting for the listeners. Um, when you talked about, like, maybe some of the, maybe some of the more progressive modern developments in, in music production and maybe synths and sounds is coming more from the pop world than the, the prog world, are there any yeah. artists um, or bands uh, in the prog scene that you feel are, all, are still kind of pushing those boundaries or creating new sounds or creating new uh, techniques that you uh, admire or look into? Yeah, I think um, they haven't put out anything for I think Frost was one that did does a lot of that. You listen to uh, uh, I haven't put an album in a couple of years now, but there's a lot of really contemporary sounding stuff on there which uh, which is really cool. I like that band a lot. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I agree and, with that. Yeah. Yeah, and you're listening, and you're thinking, "Oh yeah, this guy he's he's listening to uh, he's definitely listening to some current stuff and production ideas and keyboard sounds because he's right up there." Um, and I think, um, to some extent, Flower Kings. Hmm. Uh, I'm a big Flower Kings fan, and I think a lot of that sometimes is uh, he gets different. You know, Ryan gets different people in to work. You know, he has a new keyboard player now, and. Um, whatever. So you hear some new stuff on that end of it, too. And of course, Rhyna's mind, which I like about the way he writes, is that, uh, you know, a lot of times I listen to Prague and I think, okay, I know exactly what's coming next in a song. Okay, I know this is going to be the 12th string and the bass synth break. I just know, you can kind of tell. Flower Kings and Rhyna's stuff, he always surprises me with where he goes with songs. And I'm thinking, damn, that's good. I never would have gone there, but that's that's really cool. He's I just has I always loved his his choice of chords and transitions and stuff. Um, so besides that, um, yeah, there are a few out there. But again, uh, I don't. I'm totally happy. You go back to Wobbler, for example. He's just you. Just B three and Mellotron and uh, you know piano. It's just the classic stuff, and it sounds killer. So there's nothing wrong with that. But um, I think if you, you know, as far as the new technology, uh, are you familiar with Zed? You know, the the uh, EDM guy? Z oh, yeah. 
Um, actually, he he used to play in a German um, metalcore band, like progressive right. metalcore band before. Exactly. They were, they were called oh, yeah, something he, Color or something. Um, yeah, his as a kid, he started out doing that kind of music. Then he got into super talented guy, just a real prodigy type player. And he started doing EDM. And I know a lot of people, again, a lot of people, oh, it's just disco music. <laughs> put, take a Z album, and th that album, True Colors, which came out a few years ago. Put on your headphones, killer songs, and the sounds, just the sounds and the soundscapes he uses, which I use a lot with Pattern Seeking Animals, the depth of it is really astounding. It's just really cool stuff you might not notice, but a lot of intricate, really subtle sounds and percussion stuff and synth sounds which I really love. Uh, I like the depth uh, of that, you know, the transparency of the music. Almost you can put, you're looking at it and you can almost put your hand through it. It's just, uh, it's so cool. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just the, the you know, the, the synth sound geek level. I love that kind of stuff. It's all the contemporary synth stuff. And yeah, I just, just love it. Cool. Yeah, I, I just... Uh... Looked him up, and uh, his metalcore band was called Dioramic. Right, yeah. Uh, I guess it was yeah in Germany, and his, I guess it was his brother or something he was with. Or, but, uh, yeah, he was a young kid. I think he started playing drum. I think he was playing drums in it or something. It was, <laughs> it's been a while. I see, I saw a, a little uh, video, uh, you know, the life story of Zed or whatever, uh, a while back. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, he's a he's a talented guy. I'm I'm just seeing that actually the, the current drummer of the German post metal band The Ocean is playing with Dioramic. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and yeah, and, and Zed, the Anton Zaslavsky was actually the drummer. Uh, yeah, oh, before God, he yeah. went went on to do different stuff and yeah, win some Grammys and stuff. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, a few yeah exactly. So yeah, yeah, that type of music as far as the technology. Um, you know, the risk you run into with using all the current technology is that you use it, and within a couple months, it might sound dated. Uh, you, know, you just got to pick and choose what you're going to use, because all of a sudden, if you're using the newest thing and everyone else uses it, it's just kind of become a little little uh, overused, and you're, you're stamped with that you know, your whole life. I think that happened to a lot of people in the 80s when all the digital synths started coming out and all the digital reverbs. And mm -hmm. I have trouble listening to a lot of rock stuff that was recorded in the 80s because of everything was so clean and digital and had those, a lot of the cheesy sounds to it that just mm -hmm. didn't hold up or over time. And, and uh, to me, a lot of the 70s prog stuff sounded more timeless than a lot of the 80s stuff. So that's that's always the pro that's the bad side about using all the current stuff. If all of a sudden everyone starts using it, you kind of date yourself as it as the next new synth sound comes out in a couple months. So, <laughs> yeah, I get all that. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there, there were actually some some interesting excursions into the world of sound uh, design and and all that. But I wanted to come back uh, to the lyrics as well because I had the feeling that. There's like some some really interesting topics uh, um, on the new uh, Parent Seeking Animals album, especially the last two songs, um, "Lifeboat" and "Soon but Not Today." Kind of had had the feeling that they're like, yeah, there's some some deep deeper philosophical stuff going on maybe in yeah. like 
uh, wrapped in 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 a really cool um yeah storytelling uh kind of songwriting so yeah lifeboat started out to be a shorter song originally it was going to be about five minutes long it was just simply a guy in a ship the ship starts to sink everyone get on the lifeboat there wasn't anything deeper or philosophic it was just that's the story because I, I thought it was interesting and i liked the music and at some point toward the end of it and just to back up i never start out to write a long song it's just mm. you just get to the point where you're thinking okay it's done and some are done when they're four minutes long and some are done when they're 12 and uh but this one toward the end of it i was kind of messing with some of the lyrics and i thought i had to start a little musical part i thought well maybe i'll just do another lyric maybe looking back on his life and maybe and then from there i started writing more and more and then i started getting deeper into the philosophical part about about confronting your religious beliefs and your own mortality and everything like that and and uh, it ended up being, I think, a lot deeper and more involved than I ever planned to. But as I'd write one little section, I would think, oh, that's cool. But now how about we'll make him back in, you know, when he's a kid. And now he's back in the lifeboat and, you know, trying to, you know, bargain with God or whatever, you know, to save him. So, yeah, it turned out to be a kind of a different song than I intended. But when I went into those other sections, I tried to make him... Uh, I don't want to say deeper, but a little more meaningful rather than just imagery, uh, that type of thing. Uh, yeah. And then soon but not today, although there's a, it's not necessarily all about one thing, but the, the, the soon but not today thing, like in the center section is a reggae section where the guy just had a scare about, uh, you know, the doctor said, man, you dodged a bullet this time. You know, you were just about a goner. And it's about someone who got to a certain point of life and making a lot of bad decisions. And he says, okay, that's it. I'm cleaning everything up, you know, uh, soon, but not today. Okay. I'm going to start drinking. Well, not today, but you know, in a couple days, you know, <laughs> I'm going to drink now, but tomorrow I'll start, you know, it's like tomorrow I start yeah. the diet, that type of thing. Um, sounds very relatable. <laughs> oh yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> Believe me. Tell me about it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was it. And, uh, but again, on that one, the song isn't necessarily about all that because that one is written to be more of a linear song where there's not necessarily repeating chorus or verse. You know, I come back to a theme here and there, but I like the idea of just writing linear. So nothing never does, does tie up. I think the tendency is with a lot of uh, longer prog songs, and it's nothing wrong with it because I, I do it a lot, where you take essentially a, uh, a pop structured song, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, out, and you, you expand it. So there's just more sections and whatever, and you still come back to the same chorus. And on this, on Soon But Not Today, where I didn't necessarily, I, there's, like I said, a couple repeating themes, but I didn't have a, a typical sing along chorus to come back to to tie it up. I like the linear. I guess Lifeboat was like that too. Uh, you know, some repeating themes and some hooks along the way, but uh, not necessarily tied up with a you know the the chorus or whatever so yeah those neither of those started to be as long as they were they just ended up there and you just get to the point i think okay i'm done with it it's, that's, that's all i can say for this yeah cool um so aside from uh pattern seeking animals and spock's beard do you have any any other musical outlets is it, it do you actually um yeah make a living out of your music work if, if you don't mind me asking um 
No, I actually, <laughs> no, it's not. And at some point, for a long time it was, I was doing film and TV stuff and writing. Uh, but then I just got a little tired of the film and TV stuff and trying to, always trying to find gigs. It just got very um, monotonous, always trying to reinvent yourself and finding new gigs. And more and more people came along with uh, better and better equipment. So a lot of people could do that type of music. And I just got to the point where uh, I just was, it just wasn't exciting to me to do it anymore. Um, so I got away from that. Although I still do, I'm doing a like a low budget science fiction film for a friend of mine who directed it for this company in a couple of weeks. So I'll do that kind of stuff now and then. But no, I started, um, I always worked at home and I got into doing property management from my home which is perfect because I just decided about 10, 12 years ago to only do music I really wanted to do, mm. which excited me and was more fulfilling the older I got. Um, I mean, unless someone wants to pay me a tremendous amount of money, but it's it's just all about the artistic end of it. And with Spocks, it was always because they would always, I think what every two, three years or whatever, they'd come out with an album. And every once in a while, they'd contact, say, hey, we're going to come out with an album. You want to write something? Okay, cool. And I'd sit there and write for a couple <laughs> months or whatever. But that was never really a, a consistent thing with me with them. But with Pattern Seeking Animals, I decided it's the perfect situation because I'm working with guys. I get along with them great. They're fantastic players. It's very creative. And I just have a blast sitting here in my apartment in my studio writing and pr producing stuff. There's just nothing better. So that's my, that is my only musical focus at the moment like uh, you know like unless like i said a friend comes up with a science fiction film or something they want me to do and i'll spend a week doing that but pattern seeking animals and writing this type of music that is it and i will just i'll just keep doing this as long as you know people will have me doing it you know or pay for it or, or let you know, i would i would do it even without being paid because it's not exactly like i'm making money doing it but uh, uh yeah, it's just right. so fulfilling and i love the music so much it's just it's just a blast a lot of fun uh, and with that being said, uh, maybe Dario was about to ask this: Would there be any plans uh, post-Corona to do any shows or tours or festivals? Or well, the plan was we were scheduled to play at Rosfest uh, uh, in May. I think what was it the the ninth? I think it was. Obviously, that got that got that was going to be our our first gig, and we had been um, in discussions with a couple other festivals and doing a tour later. Rosfest was particularly, we had already started working up the live set. We had a couple other musicians to play in the band to put everything across. And when it got canceled, it was, it was doubly annoying to me or because besides obviously us not getting to play, we were going to be on the same date as big, big train. Hmm. And I love that hmm. band. And I would have, that would have been a killer combination. I think with us and them. And, um, uh, I would just like to see them uh, because I'm such a fan of them. You know, forget about playing with them. Yeah. It's just as a fan because I've never seen them live. But now, yeah, it, it is the plan to eventually play live, but there's no way to plan anything at this point. Yeah. Everything is on hold. Even people who are who are thinking, oh, yeah, we're, we moved everything till early 2021, there's no guarantees there. Mm -hmm. And there's no guarantees that when things come back, it's we're going to be looking at the same um, – uh, layout of the of the the topography of the the live world that we were before, because there's going to yeah. be some clubs obviously that don't make it. Some festivals are going to have trouble. It's going to be very different, 
and it was always it was already kind of tough being a prog you know an older prog act and trying to make it work financially you know and uh that was there's always its own challenges there but now who knows so at this point it's just kind of off the table until things get back together and we and we look and see what we're looking at as far as doing it. But the idea is to play live, but right now I'm just working on album number three because there's no way to plan that part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I, right. I, think, I was going to say, I think we actually got a little fortunate in the timing because uh, I think a lot of, a lot of bands, um, the, the, when they record albums they do it to be able to promote themselves so we got we're going to go play live we should record a live we should record an album to promote and they a lot of bands i think got caught with no new material and no place to really promote it and luckily we had this album coming out uh but it's a it's a tough thing you know i it's uh it's going to be tough for everyone to navigate what's going on so you know who knows as a longtime spokes beard fan i would like you to ask uh to Give us a couple of your favorite songs that you contributed over the years uh, to Spock's Beard that we could also add to the playlist, because the, um, you know the, the the all the all the Spock's Beard material where Neil's not on is is yeah. on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, Neil. That's the other because he has his own streaming thing, that Waterfall app. So I think he's resisting putting his stuff there again. I don't I don't get it, but. <laughs> It's his music it's, to do with what he wants. Um, yeah, it's his decision. Yeah, um, I think I would just have to go by album because I, it changes. Because a lot of times when I you know, would write stuff, and I think it's really good. Then years later, I listen, and I'm thinking, I didn't like that one too much, but actually this one's really good. I think um, Ghosts of Autumn, I wrote with Dave for the first album, or for Ophelia Foria, the first one I played yeah. with, Ghosts of Autumn. On um, Octane... I like that whole the one Dave and I wrote that's, uh slash before my eyes. That's actually m- my my favorite uh my favorite of this uh yeah. Definitely my favorite uh post Neil Spock Spear album actually. Uh oh, cool. yeah. Octane. Yeah, Octane, there's a couple songs uh a couple of this I, I flash before my eyes, I pretty much like the whole thing. I think she is everything is a real good song. Uh, yeah, and then a lot of uh, there's one song in there called "As Long as We Ride," which I wrote with Al and Nick. I love that song. Not a lot of people. I just like the vibe of that one. The lyrics I think are good. Not a lot of people mention yeah. that song, but I really like that song. Uh, Nine, I think, uh, "Skeletons at the Feast," that instrumental one, and "Slow Crash Landing Man." Uh, again, both I wrote with Dave, and then on. 10 or x jaws of heaven again with dave to me that's that's one of my favorite things i wrote with spock's beard jaws of heaven and then uh brief nocturnes that's where i started writing pretty much with my own stuff there i think um uh something very strange yeah and then on (laughs) that's uh, a cool one yeah, and that one, um, and then after that, on Oblivion Particle, the two has to be, you know, Bennett build a time machine and uh, disappear. I think are my two favorites there. Noise floor. I don't know. The, my favorite stuff on noise floor is the stuff that ended up on the B side. Uh, so I don't know. If, you know, bulletproof. I think probably on that one. 
you know, that that B side is kind of like a, a pre pattern seeking animals disc because it's all me and Ted on that. But um, yeah, I think bulletproof on the last on the last uh, noise floor album. Yeah, it it it, it is on Spotify in the extended edition. Oh yeah, yeah, and. Uh, Actually, also, um, also the Octane special edition, um, uh, like the, the 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 bonus disc, is as good as the uh, as the real, like the the first one. There are a couple of like uh, alternate takes of that main theme from a Flash Before My Eyes and stuff with the with the organ and um, so yeah, the that was always super cool. Additional yeah. material. Yeah, that one. Um, though the the on the um, the bonus disc, those little instrumental things were from my demos, uh, which just for some reason didn't end up in the in the in the main disc in the part. I think we cut it down because it didn't flow right or something. The other, uh, uh, it's funny because you mentioned that I haven't thought about it in a while. There's a song called "When She's Gone," which I wrote with Dave and Nick. I I was really had it's a real dark. Uh, rock song which I, I really like that song too again on the bonus disc so flesh before my eyes is just yeah it's one of my favorite uh oh, great post neil post neil spoke spewed moments probably the the whole the, the whole thing when you know with the you start out and the this the, this uh, theme is just so simple but when it comes back in in the later songs it's just so powerful and uplifting. Um, I really, really love listening to, to Octane. Oh, thanks, yeah. And yeah. the flash for my eyes, sweet. Cool. Um, Great. Yeah, all right. Um, I think uh, that brings us to the end of this broadcast. Um, thank you so much, John, for, for joining us. And uh, Not a problem. Yeah, good luck with the, with the release of uh, Prehensile Tales. Again, it's coming out next week. Uh huh. Um, May fifteenth on Inside Out Music, All right? Yeah, and we're, we're releasing another single this Friday, oh, okay. um, the eighth, which is um, uh, uh, "Elegant Vampires." I and just wanted something... to say, is it gonna be elegant vampires? <laughs> yeah, we shot we shot videos. We were gonna we we had planned to do it in the studio, and everything got canceled because of the pandemic. And these videos we shot all in our own homes with green screens and lights and the video editor put some really interesting things. We're going to do that one. Then after that'll be out. And then after that, a couple weeks later will be the single with a video for why don't we run? Okay. All right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Well, good luck with the, the, the release of that. I guess a lot of people will be getting it streaming first, right? Before the physical release that may, might yeah. be a delay there. Nope. You know what? No delays. If they're already done, and uh, the, every, that's one good thing is that I, we were all concerned, well, without everything slowing down, that the supply chain is going to be a problem. But they got everything manufactured. They're already the vinyl's done. Every, it's all good. So we're not going to I mean, there might be issues oh, ship, awesome. shipping it, but uh, we got we got we lucked out just with scheduling there, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. I mean, I mean, uh, I think it's it, in that case, it's also a big advantage to have a label like Inside Out um, yeah. Yeah. that is that uh, has the 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 means of uh, yeah. yeah the, the distributing um, means has the power um, of Sony. That's... Yeah, they're exactly mm -hmm. they're great. I I no I can't say anything bad about those guys at that label. They're they're super supportive and 
they're hands off as far as the creative end of the music, which I love. It's just okay, do an album and we turn it in without any, you know, without any input. And they're, it's it's great. It's 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 perfect for an artist working with that label. So I, I love those guys. Awesome. No, no wonder Dream Dream Theater ended up there after yeah. their catastrophic uh, ex, uh, um, experience uh, in the 90s with the falling into infinity. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I know. That's the thing. You always cross your fingers when you get signed with a label. You know, you, there's the pitfalls. There's a zillion possible ones, but Inside Out has been never less than great. <laughs> Everything is great, so I, it's it's a it's a dream situation. All right. Take care. Uh, also to our listeners, uh, take care uh, of yourself. Take care of each other. Listen to prog music, and Randy freaks out. Freaks out. The Freaks Progcast presented by the Prog Space is a production of Stuus Media and is recorded at the Moonbase Studios in Munich. The show is produced by Janine Stangel, Blake Lewis, Kai Metzner, Dario Albrecht, and myself, Randy M. Salo. Our theme music is provided by This Is Not An Elephant. Thanks for tuning in, Freaks. See you next time. Freaks out.